Okay, so as Mario mentioned, it is our Youth Sunday. You probably noticed that from all the youth and the video and Mario saying it like twice already. So yeah, it's our Youth Sunday. So as such, we are not going to be continuing through First and Second Peter. I'll leave that one to Sam. We're actually gonna be finishing off our youth group series. Uh, so for the past year or so, we've been going through Genesis. Uh, we decided to do it a chapter at a time, not thinking ahead about how long Genesis is. So we have been spending a long time going through it. And we have finally arrived at the end of Genesis with Joseph's life. And we're actually preaching out of the final chapter of Genesis, Genesis 50. Um, and we will see the recurring theme through Joseph's life and through this chapter that really a posture of humility allows us to be very well used by God as his people. But before that, would you just join me in prayer and just asking that God would move through this service. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to all gather here today. We just thank you for the privilege to be here as your body and for the privilege to be here just to learn more about you, Lord. I pray that your spirit would just move through us today. I pray that this service would be glorifying to you and honor, honoring to you, Lord. I just pray that you would guide and direct every aspect of the service and that you would bless the fellowship as well and just glorify yourself today, Lord. Amen. All right. So everyone's heard the story of Joseph, but I'm going to give you guys a quick little recap. Specifically, so Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. So just keep that in mind that the first like you know, 17 years, okay. And then there's a 13 year period where he's sold into slavery by his own brothers. He is falsely accused by his master's wife and thrown into prison. Um, he actually helps people in prison and asks them to remember him and get him out of prison. They forget him. Um, and then he spends an extra two years in prison because of that. So Joseph isn't exactly like you know, he's had, he's had some rough times, and those are all the chapters we focused on so far. Mario's joked that we focused more on the gloom aspect of our series, Gloom to Glory, than the glory. But yeah, so Joseph went through a lot. Um, and where we're picking up in Genesis 50 is actually the end of his life. So he's been redeemed. He's in this powerful state in Egypt. His brothers have actually come to Egypt. They've apologized. Everyone's made up, whatever, you know. Um, but we're picking up in Genesis 50, and earlier in Genesis 50, Joseph's father, Jacob, actually dies. Um, and so his brothers, because Jacob dies, his brothers are fearful because at the time it was customary that no matter what your family did to you, you forgave them out of respect to your father. And so Joseph's brothers, they were like, they were like yeah, Joseph forgave us, but they had like a safety net because their dad was still alive. And then their dad dies and they're like, Joseph's going to kill us. Like, we got to go. We got to apologize again. We got to offer ourselves as servants. Like, they are fearful. And so that's where we pick up in Genesis chapter 50. If you guys want to turn there, you're welcome to. It's also going to be on the screen. Um, so this is Genesis 50, 18 through 20. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring, bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So, if you guys will recall, 
the first aspect of Joseph's story, it was actually his brothers who sold him into slavery. And so it could be argued that his brothers kind of set off his whole cycle of suffering. And so they were walking into this engagement fully ready to, at the very least, be punished, but they were probably thinking Joseph would, in all his power, would just kill him outright. But he didn't. He responded, and he responded very humbly. I'm going to reveal pretty early on here that the theme of Joseph's life is humility and faith. And so he responded very humbly. He literally says, am I in the place of God? And so we're going to look at that. Why, why could Joseph respond to his brothers in this way when the alternative was justified? Again, they didn't have that safety net anymore. And so Joseph's brothers, they were like, yep, if he wants to kill us, he can kill us. Their culture would have been like, yep, he wants to kill him, kill him. So why was Joseph able to re respond this way? So I'm going to reread verse 19 for you. Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Now, this is very important. It's, you know, a simple verse, but Joseph saying, am I in the place of God? One reveals that his, his forgiveness to his brothers is purely from a place of humility. He is forgiving them, not just because he's a nice guy, it's humility. He understands this kind of hierarchical, he can't make it better. He can't set things right just by being angry with them. It is his humility that allows him to forgive them in that way. And two, the specific, am I in the place of God? For Joseph to respond humbly and forgive humbly, he had to first understand where he stood in relation to God. For him to be humble with his brothers, he had to be humble with God. And so that's kind of the central idea here is like, how do we be humble with God? How do we humble ourselves before God? And Joseph did it through loads of suffering. <laughs> like God used suffering in Joseph's life to humble him time and time again Joseph proved faithful to him time and time again. But in terms of the specifics of how God humbles us, I want to turn to Jeremiah 18. So if you guys want to turn there, you can. Um, but so for some context for Jeremiah 18, the people of Israel are going through some similar times that Joseph was. They're actually, so Jeremiah is all about judgment. Jeremiah is proclaiming judgment left, right, and center on the people of Israel and they're not responding well. And Gen Jeremiah 18 is no different. They're still not responding well. But so <laughs> like in Jeremiah, he's like, you guys are gonna suffer, but it's for God's good. And they say, nope, don't wanna do that. For contrast, Joseph heard, you're gonna suffer and it's for God's good. And he said, yep, totally. So Jeremiah 18, one through six, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there, will, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So God is basically putting Israel in their place a little bit. 
And this is actually, it's interesting because it's a parable and, you know, Jesus used a lot of parables. That's just a fun note for you. God used parables before Jesus too. Um, but he's giving this parable and he's giving this very visual demonstration to illustrate, you are in my hand, I can mold you. And to illustrate something super important, which is that we all need that molding. He calls us spoiled clay, <laughs> like useless, basically. Like the potter leaves that clay and it's just gonna crumble and die and fall apart. And that's the phrasing God chooses to use. He doesn't just say clay as it does in other places in the Bible. He specifically says spoiled clay. It had spoiled in the potter's hand. And so he decided to remold it. And for us, this process of remolding is constant. It will be an everyday remolding if we accept it. <laughs> So this is a process that will go on until Jesus comes back or we die, if we accept it. And so that's kind of the hard part of this remolding, and that's the part that Israel struggled with a lot too. They were like, well, I don't actually want to. I don't want to be remolded. You know, like for the potter to remold the clay, he had to kind of mush it and like twist it and pull it and it had to go on that big wheel and then it had to go in the oven to be complete like i don't want to do that that sounds like a lot and so now this goes to a why why should we you know like obviously it's out of respect to god but eh sounds like it'll hurt you know like look at what joseph went through he suffered i don't want to do that <laughs> you know like and so now we get to this idea of okay why you know, God's called us to, but why? Why should I do that? And for that, I'll have you all turn to Romans 9. And Romans 9 is a fascinating chapter. I'm not going to cover the stuff that people find most fascinating about it, but if you want to go read it on your own time, it is crazy to me. But so in Romans 9, 20 and 21, it says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? So it kind of answers the question in the first sentence. Paul's just like flat out like, nope, you are man answering to God. If you need more reason than that, there is. But Paul lays it out pretty flatly right off the bat. And then he continues, will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Pretty humbling, <laughs> pretty humbling. Um, and so I want you for a moment, we're gonna do a little visualization. Like I want you to imagine, I don't care if you're good at arts and crafts, I just want you to imagine making some pottery, right? You've got the clay in your hand, you're molding it, you're twisting it, doing whatever you gotta do, you got it on the wheel. And the clay just looks at you, with its little clay eyes. <laughs> and it says to you, you don't know what you're doing. And it's just looking at you and it's like, I am good clay. I like being clay. I'm having fun being clay. Like, I don't wanna go on this wheel, it hurts. You know, like, you don't know what you're doing. And you look back at the clay, a little dumbfounded because the clay is talking back to you. You're like, what are you talking about? You got no right, you know? And it's funny, but that's what we do to God. You know, like we're sitting there and we're like, 
you know what, God? I know you want me to go out and be an evangelist, but I'm really good at just being a Christian and just sitting here. <laughs> I'm really good at just hanging out, and it's fun. And you know what? I glorify you in the ways that I can, but those other ways, that's too hard. Or we say, God, you've been really good to me so far, but this, this last couple months, what are you doing? These last couple months, you've been stretching me and pulling me, and I don't like it. And so, one, we should be molded because it is God's right. It is God's right as our creator to mold us and sculpt us into whatever he pleases. If we, if we as the clay, look back up at God and say, you don't know what, he, what you're doing, he's going to look back down at us and he's going to say, you don't even see half of what I'm doing. How do you know that I don't know? <laughs> you know? Our suffering always has some further purpose. You know, Joseph was thrown into a pit a literal pit for two years, even though he thought he had a way out of said pit. And then he got out of the pit and then was king of Egypt, right? Like in those two years, he probably didn't really like what was going on. He probably didn't really enjoy what was going on, but it had a further purpose. And so our suffering always has this further purpose and it is God's right as creator to determine that further purpose. But point's also twofold. It's not just obligatory. So for this, I want to read Psalm 139. This is 13 and 14. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So the writer of this psalm is basically saying, God, you did a great job. You made me. That's beautiful. Like, you have created me, molded me. And so it's God's right to create us, to mold us, to do whatever he wants with us. But it's also our privilege, right? I want you to imagine that same lump of clay. What looks better, the lump of clay or the finished product, right? If we just left lumps of clay everywhere, it'd just be trash. <laughs> like, it just gets thrown away. And so the finished product is what we're after. It's the beauty. You know, the clay is not beautiful yet. It's clay. The pot that you make the clay into, depending on, you know, if you're good potter or not, that's the beauty. And so it's the clay's privilege to be sculpted by a good potter. And we, again, not to get too metaphorical, but we are the clay. <laughs> and we're being sculpted by a good potter. And so the response to the whole, it's painful, it stretches, it pulls, it burns. I like to imagine the clay in the oven, like, holy cow, what's going on? Like, the response to that is that it's God's right and it's our privilege. And again, imagine Joseph, right? Joseph was in it. He was deep in that suffering, like familial suffering. His brothers threw him in a pit. Like, he was deep in that suffering, deep in that sorrow. He was being stretched, being pulled, all so that at the end of his life, he could sit there and talk to his brothers and say, you know what? I'm not in the place of God. I can't make it right. I can't punish you justly. I can't ask anything from you that would correct everything. Only God can do that. And God already has. In the story, God used Joseph's suffering to preserve life. You all remember the famine, like we've talked about a few times, but in that chapter, 
The famine is talked about as if it would destroy the world if Egypt hadn't correctly managed their food. Like Joseph's suffering saved lives. And he knew that because he trusted God with it. And so this brings us back around to Joseph because this is, it's probably the most popular verse in Genesis, but it points very well what his mindset was. And it's chapter 50, verse 20. It's when he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So again, Joseph trusted his hardships with God. He trusted them to God. He knew that they were hard, and he knew that it was meant as evil against him. Don't mistake that he points it out for what it is. He doesn't say, you know what? That was whatever, God used it for good. He says, that was evil. What you did was evil, threw me in a pit, didn't like it, all right? Don't do it again. But God used it for good. And again, this is what he uses as his, I'm not gonna punish you. I'm not gonna act against you. Because Joseph knows that he can't use evil for good. God can. He can't step up there and say, you know what? I'm going to take this thing that you did. I'm going to make it right. No, he knows that God already did make it right. And so he trusted that everything he went through was for good and that God was going to use it for good and that God already had used it for good. And so this is where we get to that main theme that a correct posture of humility, that's what allows us to be used by God for the best. Right, so instead of sitting there and saying, I'm good where I'm at, you know, like mold someone else. No, God can use you where you're at or where he wants you to go, because he's God, and he can use anything, right? And so that correct posture of humility allows us to, instead of saying to God, why are you doing this? This is going so poorly. You don't know what you're doing. It instead allows us to look at God and say, okay, I trust you. You know, you've used these things for good in my life, in other people's lives. I trust you, you know, mold me. And that doesn't mean it's gonna hurt any less. I wanna emphasize that a little bit. Like Joseph still suffered like nobody's business and so did other people in the Bible, even though in the end it came for good. That suffering is real and it is vivid and it is painful, but when we trust it to God, it is not meaningless. Suffering can be a lot of things, but in the Christian life, it's not meaningless. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to cling on to. And so, again, Joseph's posture is what spurred all of this. Not just, it is a posture fueled by faith. It is a posture fueled by his humility. It is a posture fueled by his pursuit of righteousness. He wanted to do everything to glorify God. And it is a posture that correctly says, God is up there, we are down here. God is in control, we are not, right? It's not human humility where you're just downplaying yourself a little bit and then you're like, done and dusted, right? Like, oh, not that good, don't worry, I'm humble. <laughs> Once heard someone say they were the most humble person they knew. And I was like, no, <laughs> it's not humility. But that's what we've turned it into, right? That's human humility is I'm not better than you. That was super humble of me to say that. 
please applaud, right? That's not humility. Humility is in our actions, in our responses. And for our humility to be truly, truly God-honoring, our humility doesn't need to be just about the other people. It needs to be first and foremost about God. And so please, if you're going to take away anything, take that away. The, not the joke, but the <laughs> actual image, right? Like, don't just be humble for the sake of humility. Don't be humble for the sake of, you know, social awkwardness. Don't want to brag. Be humble because God is in control of everything and God is your creator and it is your privilege to be humble for him and to let him mold you. And so this brings me to another point that is very apparent in Joseph's life. And that is that Joseph's humility allowed him to see God working through that suffering. So like I said, suffering is real and vivid and brutal. But for us to be able to see God working through it is such a help. And it's so encouraging. And Joseph was able to do this. Again, he was in terrible places and he still remembered God. When he comes out of the pit to interact with Pharaoh, the first thing he says is, well, I can't interpret your dream. God can. He points it back to God immediately after he'd been left in the pit for two extra years, thinking that that was his way out. And he still gets out and he says, nope, it's not me, it's God. Right? He was like, that suffering, that was for God. God was moving through that. God was working through that. That's how I move forward, God. And that's how we can move forward, so that we can walk out of a point of suffering and they can say, man, how did you get through that? That looked like that really sucked. And you can say, it did. But God was there. And you know what? God's here right now. And you know what? It was all for God. And it's still, right now, all for God. So, yeah. And this is, it's funny because I've been preparing this sermon for a little while now. You probably can't tell by, you know, the presentation. of it. Uh, But I've been preparing it for a little while. And as I was preparing it, things just kept happening at work where I started getting all prideful, you know? Like, preaching about humility, of course, pride comes up. And so things would just keep happening at work where I'd be sitting in the car about to go into work and I'd be like, man, these people do not respect me. They don't care. Like, I, you know, I deserve better than this. I'm gonna tell them I'm looking for other jobs. I'm gonna scare them, like, they need me. And I'm just sitting there in the car And I'm looking, because I'm about to send my sermon to Sam and Mario, and I'm looking at my sermon, having these thoughts. I'm like, oh, this is every day. (laughs) You know that coworker who disrespects you? Humility. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, God's teaching me. I thought I was just preparing to teach other people. God's teaching me. He's telling me, hey, you know, that, you, know, you know that scheduling conflict that's really getting on your nerves and that you really think you have the right to control? You don't. <laughs> Read Romans 9 again, <laughs> right? You know those stressful days where you just keep having stuff come up and you really don't like it and you're like, why is this happening? I wish I could just have a normal day. You know, we act like a normal day is like this holy grail. You know that keeps happening? It's not yours to control, it's mine. 
And it just kept coming up through that day at work and things kept happening, but they felt so much more like minuscule. <laughs> like, like things were happening that yesterday had been stressing me out and I was getting mad and I was getting annoyed and I was reacting poorly. And then that day it was happening and I was like, you know what, the grand scheme of God and eternity, I'll let that one slide, that one doesn't matter. <laughs> And you know what? I have to be humble because if I respond poorly, it reflects poorly on God because I'm out here, I'm talking about God nonstop. And then I'm like, hey, you're dumb. Don't talk to me. And they're like, oh, you just talked about God. Is that how he acts? <laughs> you know, like it all circles back to God. And for Joseph, it all circled back to God. Like every day of his life was humility and pointing to God. And every day of our lives can also be humility and pointing to God. Because Joseph was just a guy who really trusted God. Like, he may be a hero of the faith, but at the time he was just a man. And he just really trusted God. And he really was encouraged that his suffering was purposeful. And so we don't have to look at him like he's this unattainable thing. We can look at him and be like, oh, he trusted God wholeheartedly. I want to do that. I want to go and sit in a pit for two years and then walk out of it and say that it was God the whole time, right? But yeah, so that's just, it's a beautiful thing, humility, and it's a beautiful thing, learning this position. And again, I do want to emphasize that Joseph was just a man. I really want to emphasize that here we are trying to model Jesus. Like, that is the goal, and God's righteousness, that is the goal, like, do not mistake a sermon about Joseph as be Joseph. Like, take it for what it is. We are all here to model Jesus. That is off topic, but I want to hammer that home. We are not here about Joseph. That's the story we're learning about. We are here for Jesus. So, as we bring this home a little bit, I want to encourage you all to go out and take that into your daily life, right? Take that idea of humility especially with God. Again, like it is great if you are humble with your friends and family and coworkers, awesome. Do it with God first. Model it in your relationship with God and then model it in your relationship with your family. All right, so for the this week, let's all, I wanna encourage you all to read Acts 7. And you may be like, Acts 7, you didn't reference Acts 7 at all. That's because Acts 7 is basically a summary of all of Genesis and Exodus. <laughs> it is Stephen, and he's, he's preaching, and he goes through all of Genesis, and he points it to Jesus. And so you guys didn't get to participate in our whole year-long series, but you can actually participate in this. You could get a little recap. And so I encourage you all, read Acts 7, be encouraged by it, be encouraged by finding Jesus in the Old Testament, and then read Jeremiah 18. Be encouraged by this idea that we are in the potter's hands and we are being molded and sculpted and worked. And I know that those all sound like bad words and we don't like that, but be encouraged by it. Be encouraged by the fact that we are not in control and that God is molding us and that we will come out as something far better than spoiled clay in the end. And then for your prayer, it's simple, just use the Acts model in these chapters. But also, as you're doing this, be mindful to humble yourself. 
I've started praying with just more and more quiet time just for God. Just humble yourself. Realize who you're talking to when you're doing it. You know, like this is a very important aspect of humility with God is understanding that when we approach him, we are approaching the holy sovereign God of the entire universe. And so approach it with humility. Humble yourself. Be mindful of it. If you have to say, like literally at work this whole week, I had to sit there and say, humble yourself. Like, <laughs> it's hard. Humble yourself. If you have to say it out loud, do it. Like, get it in your head. And then for the do, I would actually call this a reflect. But find an area of your life where you are really tempted to resist God. You know, that, that area of molding that you're still pulling your little clay hand away from. Find that area. Ask him to humble you in it. And this goes back to the prayer part, too. Like, if you pray kind of like, eh, just asking God for stuff and then you're done, or you only pray over meals or stuff like that, be like, God, humble me in my prayer life. Help me to approach you, right? If it's evangelism and you don't want that stretch, go. Humble yourself before God. Pray for open doors through gritted teeth if you have to, right? Like, God will use whatever you say. And yeah, just humble yourself, be mindful of it. And again, do not be defensive with yourself as you're trying to find this area. Don't be like, well, that's excusable. Like, if you think it's excusable, pray about it. <laughs> humble yourself in it. But yeah, so if you would, join me in prayer as we close. Lord Jesus, I just pray for humility. I pray that you would humble everyone here just in their daily walks with you. I pray that they would be able to walk humbly with your spirit, with your person, Lord. I just thank you for the opportunity to learn lessons through Joseph's life, and I, I thank you for the fact that they point to you ultimately, Lord. And I just pray that we would be able to come with the same courage that Joseph had to acknowledge that all things are for your glory, Lord. Say all this in your holy name. Amen.